Leader Talk. 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 Hi everyone, my name is Natalie Dawson. Welcome to Leader Talk. This show is proudly brought to you by Brainiac. Each week we are meeting with incredible leaders from around the world to discuss all things leadership and business insights. Each person coming on this talk show has given up their valuable time for one very clear purpose, to give back to small and medium business owners. Now, each day, business owners face challenges, whether it's becoming a better leader, learning new sales processes, or even understanding the importance of mindset. Today, my co-host, CEO of Peerlight, Gus Arianto and I, are fortunate to chat to our guest speaker, Ian Mills, CEO and founding director of Transform Performance International, a global advisory firm offering solutions to clients' business performance challenges. Ian is here today to help us understand the power of mindset and how we can all be better leaders. Welcome to the show, Ian. Well, thank you very much. It's uh, a pleasure to be here. So, uh, you know, good morning, good afternoon, good evening to uh, all of you, wherever uh, you might be. And Ian, uh, on behalf of uh, Natalie, Jared, her husband and myself, thank you so much. You're donating your time. Uh, this is a non-commercial podcast to help small and medium business around the globe. And uh, and we can't say enough. Thank you for your time. Okay. Quite all right. Yeah, no problem at all. We are looking forward to learning from you, Ian. But before we get into questions, we always ask our guests two really fun ones. And we have yours. If you could learn one new skill, any skill at all, what would it be? So do you mean personally or professionally? or Whatever you like. I was thinking about that. Whatever you like. Okay. So I'd like to be able to um, hit a golf ball um, like Tiger Woods. (laughs) that's a pretty good one yeah and uh, and i say that so uh, let me just give you a little bit of context i was 60 years of age uh in january this year so um i've taken up golf recently and i'm really bad at it so i want to become really good at it um so i've got 40 years of my life left um so i've got a lot of golf to play (laughs) and if i can become like tiger woods how cool would that be there you go that it's fantastic we're going to have to interview you again and then we will ask that same question and see how your skill is going exactly (laughs) that's awesome Ian. and what about if you could magically become fluent in any language what would that language be oh um oh that's a great question you know because at at one level i would say mandarin um on the other um side of the coin i would probably say spanish um so for different reasons, um, you know, Mandarin obviously is massively significant um, and completely relevant to, to business people. On the other hand, it's incredibly complicated. So um, maybe given the fact I live in London, um, Spanish um, arguably is more is more local. So I don't know. I'll flip, I'd flip a coin between the two of them. Fantastic. Gus, what would yours be out of curiosity? I will... Uh... Uh, maybe I will uh, learn Spanish and French. Yeah, French would be hard too. Fantastic. And before we go on, Ian, you know, I gave a bit of an intro at the beginning, but there is a lot more to Ian Mills. So can you give a bit of, for all our listeners out there, so that can understand who is Ian Mills, what do you do? Tell us a bit about your business as well. 
Okay, so um, I set this business up uh, just over 20 years ago now, um, having had a corporate career. Um, my background pre this business was um, fundamentally in sales and leadership. Uh, I worked in the technology sector. I worked in the financial sector. I was lucky enough to run um, around about 50 banking branches at one particular time, um, which was a fantastic privilege in my in my 20s. Um, I really I really felt I'd, I'd made it in life. Um, uh, until uh, until I got into the technology sector and found out that was far more challenging and far more complicated. Um, but like many of us, you get to a point in your career where you think, actually, I want to do it myself. And that for me was um, around about 22 years ago. And um, I really quite simply, I thought, hold on, I know a lot about the financial sector. I know a lot about the technology sector. I know quite a bit about selling and leadership. Why don't I set up an advisory business helping organizations to sell more, to lead better, to communicate in a different, in a different way? So I set up a business called Transform People International, and I still run that business today. We've rebranded it. We now call it Transform Performance International. And it's very simple. Um, the language that business owners talk about is performance, not people. So what we do is exactly the same. We just happen to be called something slightly different. So our business is about helping organizations, individuals, and teams perform better through people. And that's about developing their mindset, their attitude, their belief system, their skills, their behaviors. Frankly, whatever is required to get them to their desired state or their desired uh, destination. So most of our work is in the context of change. So every SME is seeking to change. That might be as simple as growing. It might be changing their business model. It might be changing their marketing. It might be changing their proposition. Um, every organization is going through change. Without people being aligned to that change, it's unlikely that they're going to get where they want to, um, where they want to get to. As it happens, our clients tend to typically be global multinationals. So I'm privileged to have worked in about 60 countries with clients like Deloitte and American Express and Hewlett-Packard and Cisco Systems. On the other hand, I also do work with some entre entrepreneurs who are part of my part of my private part of my private network. Um, and, and just look by way of background my my father was um, a high street retailer he was a he was a butcher uh, my grandparents were high street retailers so I have um, familiarity with that with that world and of course I'm also running an SME myself so I have a lens on what the big monsters do I, I also have a lens on the reality of being an SME and some of the challenges of being you know maybe a high street retailer but let's 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 not over egg the pudding. I don't I, I don't claim to know I don't claim to know everything. So I've got a perspective, and hopefully I can add value to your listeners during during the next uh, 50, uh, 50 minutes or so. So that's so that's what we do. No, that's fantastic. And Ian, you know, you touched on it. You know, you work with global companies, and you know, you you did start off in the UK, if I'm right, and then you went global. And for a lot of our listeners, you know, that that is a, it's a big step, not even just for the listeners, I'm sure it was a big step for you. If there were, if there's any advice for listeners out there that are thinking of how they could possibly go global, is there any advice you can give just from your own experience? Um, so uh, this is a matter of opinion, uh, and you have to be careful sometimes with opinions. Um, 
but I think it's rooted in the beliefs that you hold around your ability to go global, you know, because um, banging on the door of a uh, local prospect, in my opinion, is no different than banging on the door of a global organization. Um, so, so what prevents us from doing that is often what goes on in our head. That, you know, how on earth could I pick up the phone to somebody working for Google in California? Um, well, why not? You know, why is it any different to picking up the phone to somebody in Sydney or Singapore or wherever it is you might you, you might live? So think big. And sometimes it, you can't pull it off. Absolutely. But if you think big, you're probably more likely to get towards that desired destination. So, you know, you may not land Google as a client, but you might land Hewlett Packard. <laughs> you know? So, um, so. Look, and you know, and the other thing is that with all of us, you've got you've got to balance um, uh, sort of the vision um, and the big, hairy, audacious goal with the practical. I've got to pay the bills as well. So, what are the what are the easy ways to think about it? I, I one of the things that I encourage business leaders to do, whether they're working for SMEs or large companies, is to think about something called three horizon thinking. Um, so what three horizon thinking is, it's a very simple concept. Think about you're in a yacht, you're out sailing in the ocean. Horizon one is the wave that is hitting you um, in, the, in, in the next 30 seconds. Horizon two is the oil tanker that you can see in the distance. And you've got to think about that when you approach that in a day's time. And horizon three is the unknown unknown. So, so any leader at whatever level you're at, you probably have to spend most of your time at horizon one tackling the wave in front of you right now. So keep paying the bills, keep running the business, keep doing the best you can possibly do. But you also need to be thinking about horizon two. What are you going to be doing next year? Where do you really want to get to? What's your ambition? What, what, what's your waving the magic wand? What would you love to be doing? And then you need to be thinking about the unknown unknown. What's the art of the possible? Um, and I think what that would then do, if I, if I go back to your original question, is that that might create the time and space in your schedule to start thinking about how might I move from being a local business to a national business? How might I move from a national business to an international business? So rather than jumping from one to another, gradually moving towards that destination and then beginning to reinvent yourself. It's a great way of looking at it. And in when I was looking, um, uh, you know, we do our research on guests and I was having a look and there was a really great quote that I pulled from one of the pieces that were written about you and you said, it's the beliefs that you hold that cause you to behave in the way you behave. And it's the way you behave that will cause you to be the success that you either are or are not. And I think you've just summarised, I was going to ask you about that later on, but what you've just explained here really is that quote, isn't it? Um, okay, so it's a brilliant quote. Um, and, and there were variations on a theme. So there's a very old um, quote that everybody on this call would be familiar with from Henry Ford. It says, if you believe you can or you believe you can't, you'll be correct. Um, so, so you know maybe um just to uh, to put it in a different context with a with a quick story for you um there's a famous british moment when a man called roger bannister was the first man ever to run a 4 minute mile 
So many of you might 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 be familiar with that. Um, certainly, those who are my age will be familiar with that. Now, in isolation, that's not interesting. What's more interesting is how many people ran it the year after. The records are not accurate, but it's believed believed to be between five and ten. Now, nothing changed in terms of training technique, in terms of diet, in terms of equipment. The only thing that changed is the year before, those athletes sat on their sofa with their family saying that nobody else, nobody will ever run a four-minute mile. After Bannister ran it, they sat on the same sofa with the same family saying, somebody's just run a four-minute mile, I better up my game. And they ran a four-minute mile. So, so... You know, if you take that as a very small example, what happened is their attitude and their mindset changed from I can't to I can. I can't to I can. Now, let's all be clear. When you translate that into the business world, just simply shifting from I can't to I can doesn't mean you can flick a switch and become what you wish to become. But what it will do is it will propel you towards it. It will it will mean that you will train and develop and learn and practice and experiment um, so that you get towards that destination. So if I go back to your first question about how do you how do you get into a global client? Um, if you believe that you can then it might take you three years, um, but you'll learn and you'll practice and you'll experiment and eventually it will come off. If you believe you can't, then you'll sit on your sofa watching the football and you'll be proven correct. Absolutely. No, that that is a brilliant. Yeah, I, I know, Gus, you're going to come in with a question, but it's a brilliant example. Thank you. So, uh, so can I just say one thing about that? So if if... if if your listeners buy that argument that the beliefs you hold drive your behavior and your behavior drives your success, what that therefore means is that in order to become the best version of yourself, you should you should focus more on your beliefs than your behavior. Because if you focus on your own mindset, your attitudes and your beliefs, then your behaviors will change. So what a lot of business people do um, and, and I do it too, is focus too much on our skill and our knowledge um, at, at the expense of our underlying belief system. If, if you develop the belief system, which is the foundation and the backbone, then the, then the behaviours and the skills and the knowledge will come as a consequence. It's a sequence. Fantastic. Ian, I, I have a question for you. Um, for example, I'm a owner of a small mechanics, motor mechanics. And, you know, by luck, I'm actually a very confident guy. And I wake up in the morning and I said, I can. I believe I can make this uh, national chain mechanics in the country with 300 stores, 300 mechanics stores. The reality is I have one with three employees, one of them on part-time. I work from five o'clock in the morning until five o'clock in the afternoon. And then sometimes I have to go back at night. I say I can, my eyes crying because I'm running out of energy. My question is, how do you translate your confidence and your belief system to the three employees that actually looking at you thinking, is this guy Gus mad or he just 
thing that he can run the world. Like, I mean, I'm sure before your organization run global, you will be in that space where you will be the one that say, I can, but no one else follow you. I can because you're not here today 20 years ago. <clears throat> okay, so that's a great question. Uh, and by the way, that's an incredibly difficult question because I've never encountered somebody quite like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so thank you for that, Gus. Um, so um, look, there, is a, there isn't an easy answer to that. But the thing that I would encourage that particular business owner to do is to go and model themselves on somebody who's done exactly what they wish to do. Um, so, so the most powerful behavior that any sales professional, any business leader, um, any person who wishes to be personally successful can hold is insatiable curiosity. Um, so a desire to understand, um, and what I would encourage them to do is to pick up the phone to somebody who runs 300 mechanic stores. That's probably not the right phrase, but I think everybody knows what I mean. Pick up the phone to them, offer to buy them a coffee or a glass of wine or dinner. Um, go meet them and, and, and go and find out how they've done what they've done, why they've done what they've done. Not at a superficial level, not their technique, but dig deep, dig into their mindset. So ask them questions like the very one that you just asked me, Gus. So when you started and you had one store and you found it difficult to bring your people with you or reinvent or to get out of the mold or to break the paradigm, what is it you did? What, what was your technique? And when you got to a Friday afternoon when you were weary and tired, tired and felt you just couldn't keep going uh, what is it that got you out of bed the following morning to keep going on the saturday and the sunday and and therefore what you then do is you then copy and paste the mindset and behavior of the very person who's done what you wish to do and, and, and what i'm saying to you at, at actually gus is is to a large extent what we did in the research to uncover the secret code of the top performing leaders, the top performing salespeople, the top performing uh, people of how they uh, of how they think, um, and this technique of modelling, it, it's quite a difficult thing to do because you've got to be incredibly patient and 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 hugely curious uh, beyond superficial information. So what you're not trying to do is just copy a technique. You're trying to copy a mindset. You're trying to copy coping strategies and you're trying to copy mechanisms. Now, I'm going to give you a little example of something that came out of the research. One of the things that we looked at from a resilience point of view, because you touched on it with your question, is what's the optimum balance between working hard and working smart? So should a successful people, should a successful person, let's take your mechanic, um, uh, be 100% smart or 100% hardworking? Because the way you describe them is they're 100% hardworking. What we found is that the top performing leaders absolutely do both. So they put in a shift, they do work hard, but they spend greater levels of energy and effort on working smart than they do working hard. So working smart is about how do I break the mold? How do I stop working these crazy hours? How do I automate things? How do I systemize things? How do I learn from others? So a little bit back to my point about three horizon thinking, you can't jump 
from one store to 300 stores, but you can move towards it um, more systematically and more quickly. So in summary, be massively curious, go meet somebody who's done it, go find out what they've done, copy and paste their mindset, their skills, their processes, their methods um, that can work in your um, uh, that can work in your environment um, and and continuously think about how you could be smarter in the way in which you work. Ian, you've touched on the leader's secret code. Now, you've written more than just that one book. Can you just let our audience know, because I know we had a brief discussion yesterday about a super interesting, the other two books as well? Um, so the first book I co-authored co with my uh, colleague Mark Ridley, who I've worked with uh, for many years, was called 100 Big Ideas to Help You Succeed. That's a really easy book to read. Um, you know, you can flick through it to idea 65 to idea 99. Um, you know, it takes no time at all to tap into it. So it's a very simple concept. And there are ideas in there for all of us. Very basic, simple things that every one of us could do that could accelerate our, our performance. I'm sounding like a salesperson. I'm not here to pitch a book, you know, but you asked the question what I, you know, what I did. That book was um that book was largely based on the experience that Mark Ridley and I had uh, working with these famous name companies all over the world. So people that we observed that were doing amazing things what was their little idea what was their little technique what was the thing that they did that was truly difference making then what we did is we then thought hold on a minute we'd like to do something more substantial more academic more research orientated and and the background um to it was that I, I was uh, part of an elite entrepreneurs group based out of London called the Entrepreneurs Exchange. And they used to have these private dinners that I used to attend in London, and they were truly inspirational. And um, But there was a problem for me. The problem was that the audience there, they were entrepreneurs who weren't really in my target market from a business point of view. But the dinner was great. The conversation was great. And the person who did the talk was generally quite amazing. And I sat there often thinking, I want to know more about how they coped, what went on in their head, what what was their um, deep-rooted value system that I can't see. So I can see their presentation. I can see their story. I can see their ideas. So on the train home one night, I came up with the answer. And the answer was, we're going to do a study on the underlying belief systems that cause the best people to be the best people. And actually, just, just to fill the story in, when I phoned up my colleague, I told my colleague that we were going to write a book and it was going to be called The Entrepreneur's Secret Code. And we actually started doing research into entrepreneurs. Um, but we very quickly realized in our firm, a lot of the work we do is helping these multinational organizations sell more. So let's call it the salesperson secret code. But let's be crystal clear about sales. Everybody sells. Parents sell to children. Leaders sell to their teams. Salespeople sell to customers and prospects. All of us sell. So, so we thought that would be a brilliant place to start. So we interviewed, um, you know, I'll try and summarize this for you, but we interviewed a, 
uh, over a thousand salespeople for over an hour each all over the world to dig deep into their um, into their mindsets. And one of my co-authors, Professor Ben Laker, who's a professor in leadership at Henley Henley Business School, you know, he said to me, you know, even though you've been in business for so many years, you can't um, predict what the answer might be because the way in which you do academic research is you have to do it not knowing what the answer might be. But the answer was fantastic because what it told us is the top 10% of performers actually hold a different underlying belief set to the others. Oh, and by the way, a significantly different mindset to those who are at the poorer end of the spectrum. So that was our first um uh, our first go at an, a sort of a slightly academic research-based book. But what we did to bring it alive, because nobody would buy a book based purely on data, or not many people would buy it. So what we then did is we then interviewed 10 iconic salespeople from all over the world, um, who none of whom were perfect, but each of whom had a story to tell that was aligned to the research findings. So they were amazing people. Um, and and that was the first book. And then our publisher then said, guys, you know, you've written this on sales. Now write one on leadership. So so we therefore followed a similar approach. We made it a little bit more digital. We modernized it a little bit um, and we took a slightly different approach. But in a similar way, it's it's packed full of data that basically means that anyone who's listening to this call, you can benchmark yourself about the, against the research findings. So that means you can be very specific about how you might move, what your gap might be, and how far you might 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 move. But also in the book, there are um, examples of iconic leaders. Now, in the salesperson's book, we we took iconic salespeople from classic organizations like Adidas and Microsoft and Deloitte and places like that. In the leaders book, what we did is we took iconic leaders who lead in different situations. So we took a military leader, we took a Michelin star restaurant owner, we took the um, Amir. Um, chief of Twitter. We took the global, a global director of Jaguar Land Rover. You know, we took we took people from the sporting world. So we had leaders who who will lead in different situations. Now, now you might ask, well, why would you do that? So, so you would do that because what you can do is you can translate what leaders do in different environments. So, a good example would be James Knight. So, James Knight. Um, uh, so I, I just need to put this in context. So he he was a major in the Royal Marines. So in the UK, the Royal Marines is the elite military. He's got he's got a military cross for acts of bravery in front of the enemy. So we thought he would be really good from a resilience point of view. So what is it like to to lead young men who might die during that day? How do you lead them? Oh, and by the way, because you're scared too, how, what's your coping mechanism yourself? And therefore, how can you then translate that into an SME's world or to a corporate world? So, so, so a little bit back to the point earlier, you can learn from other sectors, other people um, who are either in your world or outside of your world. Ian, can I uh, ask um, not to not to um, give away 
the content of the book because I think for the, our audience, this is the must-read book. You know, to understand the secret code, it's 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 been coming. The book did not happen because uh, you wake up one day and come up with a book. You actually do a lot of research globally. My question: Can anyone, regardless whether they uh, bright in university or high school or academically bright, learn the code? Can someone that uh, you know? Can everyone learn this secret if they read this book? Um, so, uh, yes. Um, but look, you know, I mentioned golf earlier. Uh, leadership is like golf. Nobody has perfected it, right? So um, so it's highly unlikely that anyone will will get 100 out of 100. There is nobody who has. So, so um All I would encourage people to do is to think about how you can get better, how you can become the best version of yourself, how you can move forward, how you can change the dial, how you can create different outcomes. So absolutely without a doubt, in the same way that if you, you know, if you spent time with a golfing coach, if you um, spent time listening to your podcast, if you spend time reading, um, you will learn the good, the bad, and the ugly. You'll learn what to do. You'll learn what not to do. Um, you will pick up things that will become personal to you and difference-making for you. So, so, so absolutely. Um, uh, but, but again, you, you, if, you th- if, if, if you think about this, it goes back to your, your, your underlying belief system. If you believe that you will extract value from accessing the secret code you you will gain value if you if you want to argue the point and justify why you won't um then then you will get no value from it so 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 when you listen to a podcast when you read a book when you go on a workshop um when you buy a coffee for somebody you admire um if your attitude is um they hit lucky and i could never do that Um, then you won't do anything. If you have an attitude that says, I'm going to extract three things that are going to be difference-making for me, um, uh, and I'm going to share with all of my friends and family and colleagues that I'm committing to doing those things, um, and if I don't do them, they can stamp on my ankle, um, then I'm quite likely to do them. It's really all about mindset, isn't it? It's that real, yeah, and I was going... Gus, if we go back to your example of the mechanic who wants to, you know, go national across Australia, um, you know, Ian, you mentioned that they should align themselves or give someone a call or speak to someone who has done something similar. Now, for them to actually understand the mindset of this person that has done something similar, what kind of questions should they be asking? Because it's not just a let's just have a coffee and chat, is it? Because you did these interviews. They went for one hour, and one-hour interviews are quite long you knew what you were looking for what kind of questions should they be asking to actually understand their mindset because you're right you know as people present and you see this facade but it's really up here that's that's the key to understanding how they do business or how they got to where they are how they made these decisions any kind of advice on what we should be asking okay so um yes um So everybody on this call can experiment with this. And I'm going to give you the easiest experiment ever. So you've got to imagine that you're at a dinner party 
um, or a social occasion and you're standing up with your glass of champagne um, and you're chatting to people that you've never met before. Most of us will typically already do this. So here's three questions you might ask. So the first question is, um, who do you work for? So that's not an untypical question. And they'll say, oh, XYZ organization. Right, that's really boring, isn't it? <laughs> right. And then you say, oh, and that's, and what is it you do for them? And they tell you their job title. And you're sipping your champagne thinking, oh, my God, that's even more boring. All right, so those are the first two questions. And then the question that will open it up is you then, you then look at them in the face and you say, okay, so let, let me reverse it a little bit. Let, let, let me imagine, let, let's just imagine that they say, I work for a big insurance company. I'm not going to name one, but let's just imagine that they work for a big insurance company. What is it you do for them? Um, I'm a salesperson. So that's the worst thing that could happen to you chatting to somebody at a dinner party. So you're now talking to a salesperson for an insurance company. Right. So, 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 the, so the game changing, uh, you know, and by, the, uh, and by the way, if there's anyone on here who's an insurance sales person, I started my career doing that. So, so I'm not trying to be critical, but what I'm saying is if you're in that world, that's not going to excite people. But the question that you should ask them in your experiment, um, and you, you should go deathly quiet and you should say, why do, you, why do you do what you do? And then go quiet. Why do you do what you do? And I'll tell you what they'll tell you. They'll go very quiet and then they'll say, hmm, that's a good question. So when somebody says that's a good question, what they mean is, oh, my God, I'm thinking about it because I don't know the answer. Um, so I'm trying to I'm trying to create myself a little bit of time in order that I can answer it. And if you use silence really well, they'll begin to tell you why they do what they do. And even in that example of the insurance salesperson, they will probably start to tell you a story about a family member that, you know, maybe died um, and, you know, their partner who was left was financially in trouble and had to sell their home. So there was like a deep-rooted emotional backbone to why they do what they do. So we can't do this right now. But if I was to ask you, Natalie, and you, Gus, why are you doing this for nothing? Um, I would get to the heartbeat of what motivates you, what what gets you out of bed in the morning, uh, what causes you to do this um, for, for free. Because sure as eggs, you're not doing this to uh, build your bank account, to put an extra bedroom on your home. You're doing it for some deep, level of uh, 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 of motive of motivation so so that's a little experiment and that will begin to get the listeners thinking about the way they ask questions the way they dig deep the way they get to the truth um the way they really get to why people do what they do and by the way just to just to tell you something about about entrepreneurs when we started the research into entrepreneurs the first six or so iconic entrepreneurs that we interviewed, none of them started their business to make money. It's quite interesting. All of them started their business because they were passionate about 
whatever that business was, and they wanted to be really good at it. Now, because they were passionate about it and really good about it, they then made money. <laughs> so sequence. So if you start from a process of I'm here to make money, so what's my technique? You're less likely to get to your desired destination than if you do something you're in love with um, and you become brilliant at it. Because if you're in love with it and you become brilliant at it, then money will arrive. Ian, I, can I ask you a question? Is that questions, why do you do what you do, should be a question that we, uh, whether you are a entrepreneur, whether you are a business owner, whether you are someone like me working for an organization, ask, as it will wired our purpose because the understanding of the purpose will create a deeper yep. reason for why you are wake up in the morning yep. in the first yeah yeah absolutely so so if you then if you then translate that even further um there's the why the entrepreneur does what they do um and why their business is doing what it does for their customers i think that's incredibly important so So if we go back to your mechanic example, well, are they doing it to fix engines in cars? Boring, uninteresting. Yeah, why would I go there as a customer? Yeah, what what is it? What's their purpose to, 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 to your point? Why are they doing what they're doing? What's setting them apart? What makes them unique? What makes them distinctive? Um, but if you then go back to something I said earlier about curiosity, well, If you if, if if you take that word distinctiveness, if you are uh, an SME and you want to be distinctive, well, the only person who can measure distinctiveness is the customer. So the customer defines distinctiveness, um, they measure distinctiveness, um, and they reward distinctiveness. So so therefore therefore, in order to develop distinctiveness, you have to go ask the customer. What would make us different? What would make us unique? What would set us apart? Um, what do you like? What do you not like? So again, you're back to this this deep level of curiosity that then reframes and changes the whole way by which you do what you do. So many of us many of us make business decisions based on good intentions and can't understand why customers don't buy things. Well, the reason they don't buy them is that they're well intended, but we're not doing what the customer wants or what the customer needs. It's interesting. And, you know, Ian, we, uh, I work with a lot of businesses and we write capability statements for them, uh, you know, helps them win business, new clients, things like that. And we often ask at the very beginning so that we can work out what sets them apart from other businesses is what is your unique selling proposition? Now, a lot of them stumble at this question, what sets them apart? But, you know, your question of why do you do what you do can, I'm feeling like instead of people don't know the answer to that, but asking them why they do what they do versus something as, you know, you know, what is your unique selling proposition will generate so much more purpose and give them an answer and the values come through that. It's just this whole new way of thinking of, you know, just for anyone can, like even the way we interview, um, getting certain answers, I just think it's such a simple question that can be, even in, you know, Gus, we talk about keeping teams motivated. We can even ask this question in our team building that, you know, why why do you do what you do, even as, as 
team members. It'd be interesting as a business owner to find out why the mechanic's apprentice does what he does. Why does he work specifically for exactly. that specific exactly. business? And, uh, 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 you're right on the money. And I think it's so powerful. So so what most businesses do, and, and, and mine will do it as well, um, is that when they articulate internally their USP, what they generally articulate are strengths, things that they're good at. If you're brutal with them as an outsider looking in, you say, well, hold on a minute, your competitors say exactly the same thing. They say that they're energetic and passionate and uh, clever and so on and so forth. So, so, so don't get fooled by your you know, don't get hoist by your own petard in the sense that you've actually got to find a way of, of differentiating. So, so a really smart way sometimes is to be brutally honest and say, look, there are other organizations that do exactly what we do. There are other organizations that, you know, fry burgers um, and, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever the product might, might, might be. But, Look, what our clients tell us or what our customers tell us that sets us apart is and and and, and then you go into the why we do what we do. Yeah. So so it often becomes a tipping point. And the tipping point is often about um if I'm the customer, I like you more, um, I trust you more, um, I gravitate to you to you more. So that becomes the tipping point. So rather than we're, we're the most amazing company because of these 10 things, the same as everybody else trots out, you know, be honest and say everybody else does all those 10 things. I completely acknowledge that. But what you will get from us is, yeah, and turn it into, you know, and, uh, you know, just a, like a message for anyone on here, really, the power of stories. So stories have, have, um, uh, research suggests that stories have 20% the impact that a fact-based, logical, process-orientated presentation have. So turn your value into a story or turn your you know, proposition into a story. Um, and that will resonate with people and they'll remember it forever. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. And, you know, without, uh, I had this noted down, without, as Gus said before, telling us the secret, the leader's secret code, for anyone listening today wants to be an aspiring leader, be a wonderful leader, what is some advice you would give to them? Um, I, so, so, Natalie, I think I've already given it away a little bit because my number one thing would be to become the most curious person that you have ever met. So, so think about it a little bit like this. Um, the people who are best at asking questions tend to be young children. Right. So if any if any of you on this call have got children below the age of 10, they ask all sorts of questions. Sometimes it gets a little bit annoying, um, but they are massively curious. And the problem and the problem is, um, you know, I'm going to be a little bit general. I'm going to generalize a little bit. Children are then taught, in my opinion, not to ask questions. Right. So so think about it like this. One of one of my business partners, his father was a headmaster at school and tells a great story. And the story is he went into a class of six year olds and said, 30 children in the room, who in here is an artist? And 30 hands hit the ceiling immediately. Goes into a room of 11 year olds and say, who in here is an artist? And they all look at their mates 
or their friends to see whether they're putting their hands up and some of the hands go up and he goes into a group of 18 right who in here is an artist well i couldn't couldn't possibly admit to being an artist so all of a sudden your 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 um your ability to do what probably would set you apart is diluted so think about questions and i bet you've seen this before the number of business people that i've seen that do things like apologize to a customer for asking them a question i know you're a busy person apologies but could i just ask you Actually, you need to ask the customer 20 more questions in order that you can deliver value and make them rich. So, so I think curiosity is the, is, is the magic behavior. And I mean that around being curious with people who've been successful. I mean, curious with your staff about back to what gets them out of bed in the morning why do they do what they do you know what what that what are their dreams what are their ambitions uh what can i do to help them get to where they want to get to um using using that skill combined with listening and observation to uncover rich decision making information so i mentioned james knight the military leader earlier he's got he's got a brilliant phrase it's in the book but it's a brilliant phrase and his phrase is be interested not interesting as a leader be interested not interesting so if you think about that that's saying it's not all about you and being a smart person who stands up and gives everybody the answer. Be interested in the others. Now, I've, I love that partly because he's a military leader. So most people think m- m- the world of military from a leadership is command and control. So you tell your troops what to do. Far, far from it. The modern style of leadership from a military perspective is a coaching, collaborative, participative um, style of or the best leaders are, 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 are like that. So I think I think curiosity. Yeah. And if you're curious, then you'll read books, you'll listen to podcasts, you'll buy people a coffee, you'll uncover you'll uncover the truth. And things that, that you never imagined you'd get. That, that's actually a point that even I learned right now from that word. I mean, we all understand what the word curious. But if you're really, truly curious, then you can run a very, very deep leadership capability because you end up Massively. talking and be Massively. interested. Yeah. That is unbelievable. Be yeah. curious Massively. and be interested. And, uh, I guess if you're curious, you will be interested. You, you are. Look, look, and in the subtlety of this, Gus, um, is that you shouldn't be doing this because it's a technique. You should be doing this because you are interested. You do want to get the truth. You do want to understand people. You do want to know what gets them out of bed in the morning. You do want to know what excites them. You do want to know what their dreams are. You know, and you could do things like. Um, let me give you an example of a, a powerful question. So there's a powerful technique called the crazy question. So what that does is it gives you as a leader the ability to um, pose a question that's slightly insane to see what their reaction is like. So you might say you might have somebody in your team and 
let's imagine you're in London and you might say to that particular team member, say, look, I've got a crazy question for you. It's not a proposal, but if I were to suggest that you apply for a new position in our new branch in Sydney, if I were to suggest that, what would you like about that? And then they'll tell you, oh, my God, Sydney, the sun always shines there. OK, what else would you like about that? Well, you know, I've always been thinking about emigrating and moving. Um, what else would you like about that? Um, and all of a sudden you begin to build up a pattern that you never knew. And then you say to them, not what do you not like about it, but you say, what would make that sort of suggestion a better suggestion? And then they say to you, well, you know, if that could come in about three years time, you know, when my child has finished school, something like that. God, my God, that would be amazing. So all of a sudden, you've you've had a conversation with a team member where you've uncovered the fact that actually they've got an ambition to maybe emigrate at some stage in their career. They've got a child that's going to graduate from university. You're building pictures by using just a crazy question technique. So it's just a style of questioning that uncovers information or if you're if you're uh, go back to your very first question about how you become international. So let's imagine you're doing um, a small piece of business yeah, with a large organization in your local country and you get a chance to meet with one of the senior executives. That easy to say to them over lunch. I've got a crazy question for you. Um, if you were to fire all of your other global suppliers that do what we do and use us as an exclusive supplier. What would be attractive about that? So you're very specific. You're not saying, you're not saying, would you like that? You ask them, what would you like about it? So you force their brain to tell you what they like about it. And they say, what else would you like about it? What else would you like about it? What would make it better? And then when they say, when they say what would make it better would be uh, technically or legally we can't do that because our you know our global contracts mean that we need to have three suppliers but to be fair actually cutting down from seven suppliers to three suppliers might be a really good thing so all of a sudden you've moved from being one of seven to potentially one of three so so that's using questioning techniques to uncover insight information in a highly creative way, um, whether it's about leading people, whether it's about leading clients, changing your you know, organizational um, strategy. Um, it's just a very powerful thing to do. do. Do your book, The Sales Secret Code, giving this uh, technique and uh, <laughs> um, secrets. So actually, the crazy question technique is in 100 Big Ideas to Help You Succeed. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> We've so, got to read that one. That's the first yeah. one then people have to read. So, yeah, okay. So what I've given you there is a – so so that's a that's a behavior. So so in the, in the belief books, what it would be doing is it would be saying that actually, if you want to be like a successful person, you need to hold a belief that says you need to become curious. Yeah. So you need to firstly um, actually accept and buy the argument that doing that is going to be um, game changing for you. 
as a leader, as a salesperson, as an entrepreneur, and then you need to develop the techniques and the skills to 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 master that. So here's a thought: um, a couple of things for your any any of your listeners. Um, if any of you connect with me on LinkedIn, I'm happy to do two things. Um, one is I, I I would be happy to give you a digital version of the hundred big ideas. Um, so free of charge, you can just have that. Um, and by the way, I'm happy to give that to you, Gus, and you, Natalie, if you, if, you know if you know if you want to um, uh, manage that. Uh, what I'm also happy to do is. Um, we, with the leader secret code and the salesperson secret code, we have a benchmarking psychometric. Um, so if anyone wants to have a go at it and benchmark themselves against the findings, I'm happy. To, I have to limit that. But the first five people that ask for it, I'm happy to do that for them. And again, that's completely free of charge. And by the way, this is not a sales trap. <laughs> I'm not asking you to do that. So I've got your data so I can come and sell with you. I know the listeners on this call are not necessarily my my, you know my you know my target market um but you, you know as a as a as a gesture if anyone is sufficiently interested in in learning um i i i, I will do that and 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 of course look you know you, you if if you if you're curious enough about the books you can go onto amazon or wherever that might be and buy them um and if anyone's thinking about buying a business writing a business book um if any of you are consultants or in a professional services world it's a really good thing to do you don't make any money selling business books yeah there is no money in it um but what it does is it helps enhance your brand so if you go back you know maybe not to the question about the garage on the other hand they could probably write a guide um an idiot's guide to how to deal with garages because we all know that Often, for people who aren't into cars, it's a scary thing, isn't it? Walking into greasy, dirty garages. I'm not suggesting your example was like that, but it's like, how can you navigate the challenges of doing that? Well, a hundred ideas on how to deal with garages. Um, so everybody's got a book within them, and you could all write a book, but don't expect to make money from writing the book. Expect to build your brand and credibility, um, and that will set the stage and serve you well. That's great. You know, I, I, this this crazy questioning. I mean, you know, my background's journalist journalism. We ask tough questions all the time, but to preface something with "I'm going to ask you a crazy question" really tones down even the most difficult question you could ask someone. Like I was just listening to the examples you gave, and they're actually tough questions that you asked if you didn't start it with. I'm going to ask you a crazy question, but actually using that technique, it's um, you've sold me. I'm definitely going to read the book because I look, think it's uh, look, and, uh, you know, and the reason you do it without overregging this is is that what you're actually doing is you you're making sure if it doesn't go well, you've actually positioned it as a crazy question, right? Exactly. So it's kind yeah. of like so. I often say, look, you know, I'm going to ask you a crazy question. A smile on my face. So hold on to your chair. Don't fall off when I ask you, but. Yeah, if I were to suggest the following, what do you like about it? And then you can you, then you can reverse that. And another good technique is to say, if I could wave a magic wand and I could do anything for you, what would that be? And that's quite powerful as well, because what that does is that immediately removes the barriers and limitations that the person puts 
on the answer to a question. So they'll give you a broader, deeper, richer answer. Yeah, even the question itself, it just puts a smile on my face. If someone was asking me that, I'd already have the smile on the face because it's already starting as a, it's a, you know, it's it's a crazy question. You know, you can give a crazy answer. It's just exactly. it's brilliant. Exactly. Wonderful technique. Good. I'm looking at the time and we've actually uh, at full time now. So, Gus, I'm going to hand it over to you to wrap up the show. Thank you. Thank you, Ian. We can go for three hours, uh, even more. Absolutely. I think, you know, just touching the the secret code of uh, a lot of areas uh, you are very insightful and uh, uh, I think uh, you know uh, I hope our audience and including us uh, me and Natalie uh, will definitely learn from from your books uh, because your example are very relevant so I try to get a lot of summary but at the same time I want to fully focus so so I hope I do you justice by by doing this you started the conversation by saying your belief system is key to success. If you want to go global, then think big as you might probably get further. Your ability to have vision then, horizon one, so for our listener, listen to this podcast to hear about the three horizon thinking. If you have the ability to have a vision more than horizon one, then you have a key to success. As Henry Ford said, if you believe you can, then you can. If you believe you can't, then you can't. Desire to understand, have a behavior to learn your success model is key. And be massively curious. And once you do that, copy success people, mindset and behavior and paste it in yourself, your business, and your process. And then I quite like this. Why do you do what you do? I think this is, this is I learned myself to ask this question. Why do you do what you do? Is a question we should ask ourselves as it creates your understanding of your purpose. If you want to be aspiring leader, then be the most curious person and try to be interested, not interesting to others. Ian, thank you so much for your insights. Uh, our audience, myself, Natalie, and her husband, Jared, can't say enough. Thank you. You're donating your time. Uh, and thank you so much on behalf of Leader Talk. Oh, thank you. Great summary. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Ian. I learned more. And like Gus said, uh, we could have kept talking for many hours because <laughs> I have lots more questions for you. So thank you so much. Thank you. And and thank you, everyone, for tuning in. For more information on Leader Talk and for some great resources to help your business grow, check out brainiac.com.au. Bye, everyone. Leader Talk. 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 Leader Talk.